I love to sit and look through those holy pages And read about the eternal rock of ages See all that God has done, the battles he has won The great prophecies unfold In every book from Genesis to Revelation I see his loving grace and this great salvation Brings courage to my soul, for I know he's in control. I believe every word is true. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious... It's time now for the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. So get your Bible, a pen, and your Bible study notebook as we journey through the truths of God's Word. And now with today's Timeless Truth, here's Pastor Walton. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 22. Luke's Gospel, chapter number 22. Now as we come to this part, we're seeing uh, quite a bit happening. In fact, this is a very, very long chapter. 71 verses in this chapter. And we see eight major things that are going to take place. First thing that we see is going to start out with the uh, perpetrators, the people who are coming together against Christ. And they're not all of them, but it's a group that's going to get together. We'll look at that in just a moment. And then we're going to look at the preparations for the Passover. We're going to look at the Passover and see a twofold supper where he takes the Passover supper and then institutes a new one called the Lord's Supper. Then we're going to see perplexed, we're going to see perception, a prediction, and we're going to then see uh, some problems that they have with, uh, the, the, again, the crowds and all, and persecution. So we have these things to look at. We will try to get to at least half of them in this broadcast and the other half in the next, as Jesus now is in Jerusalem. It's the Passover, and he's ready. He knows what time it is. And he knows his time is right now. He said, my hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. My hour's not yet come. But here it is. And we're going to see the events that are unlocking that open the door that end on a hill called Mount Calvary. In verse number one, now the feast of the unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. Now, we know that the Passover was initiated back in Exodus chapter 12, 13, and 14, we see them getting ready to leave. And this was all about the blood of Christ. Now, if you remember, we started out in chapter 12. You get a lamb, perfect, male, no blemish, and you're going to kill this lamb, and you're going to put the blood at the top and on the sides of the door. And when the death angel passes, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so, they're getting ready, and he told them to be dressed and ready to go. They're leaving. You're going to celebrate this because this blood, which will save your firstborn from dying, this blood will also release you from the bondage that you are in in Egypt. And you be ready. And he'd already told them way back before in Exodus that they would spoil the Egyptians and get a whole lot of things from them. And the Egyptians literally gave it to him, said, get out. They had already told Pharaoh, the Egyptians had told Pharaoh, do you not know that Egypt lies in ruins? Let them go. But Pharaoh 
hardened his heart. He finally let him go, but then his heart got hardened again. He ends up chasing them into the Red Sea and thinks, well, if they can go across it in dry land, we can too. And God said, yeah, well, you forgot about me. Let loose of the waters and drowned all of Pharaoh's army in those waters. So this Passover is tied to the death of Christ. And here he is getting ready to die. And the chief priests, now here are the perpetrators, the chief priests. So we're dealing with the Jewish crowd first. And the scribes sought how they might kill him. I mean, they're looking for every single thing they can find to figure out how they're going to find it. They are, they're just contemplating constantly. How are we going to do this? We have got to kill this man. But here's their kicker. For they feared the people. That was the problem. So we have the chief priests. We have the scribes. There are perpetrators. But watch this. Here's the master perpetrator. Then entered Satan into Judas. Then entered in. You know what the sad thing is? This is the Aristotle, which means at a point in time, Judas, who was one of the 12, but yet not one of the saved, ends up ripe, the way he's living his life, ripe for a takeover of the master demonic man himself, Satan. Satan entered into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. At this point, we now see Satan and Judas Iscariot. Here's our four perpetrators right now. And he went his way. Now he is not speaking just out of his own heart of horror. He now has a spokesman in him with a massive heart of horror who has already gotten kicked out of heaven for the I, 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 I wills. And he comes to the chief priests. Now we add the chief priests and the captains, how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and coveted to give him money. I mean, oh, wow, come on, man. This is awesome. And they coveted to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. They feared the multitude, so they're going to have to take him without the multitude seeing what they're doing. So they're going to come up with a way. And Judas says, we'll find a way. Now, Judas had been with Jesus. Judas knew things. He knew about him. He knew his habits and the things that he did on a regular basis. So Judas does have a good knowledge of that. And the chief priests probably know that because he was one of the disciples. So what they're finding is out of 12, one defected. Out of 12, one never received the message. Out of 12, living right there with Jesus. And many times people said, if I saw Jesus, then I would believe. Well, the truth is, and, and this was bore up in the man who went to hell, uh, the rich man, you know, send Lazarus back to tell my brother. No, they have Moses and the prophets. If they will not hear them, they won't hear even if one comes back from the dead. It's not going to happen because it's what's in their heart. Now, while this is taking place, we now have a timeout and we switch gears and we come into verse number 7 through 13 and we see preparations. Then came the day of the unleavened bread when the Passover must be killed. And he sent, this is Jesus, Peter and John saying, red letters, go 
and prepare, make ready us the Passover that we may eat. And they said to him, Where wilt thou that we prepare? He said to them, Behold, when ye enter into the city, there shall a man meet you, bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house where he entereth in, and ye shall say unto the goodman of the house, The master saith unto thee, Where is the guest chamber? where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples, and he shall show you a large upper room furnished there, make ready. And they went and found, as he had said unto them, and they made ready the Passover. Now, I find that interesting because people say, you know, Jesus emptied himself of everything but love. He, he was Everything that made him God, he emptied. No, he did not. He already knows that when they ask, this man is going to say yes. He already knows they're going to meet this person bearing a pitcher of water. He already knows the goodman of the house is going to say yes. So they went and they found it even as he had said unto them, and they made ready. I'm glad to know that my Lord Jesus never gave up who he was. All he did was he restrained using his attributes as he walked upon this earth as a human being. He could have done a lot more. He could have, he could have met those scribes and Pharisees and Sadducees and Zealots, anybody that came against him and called their name all through from the Gospel of John to the Gospel of Matthew and in between, every single one and said, drop dead. He restrained wrath because he came in mercy and grace. So they go and they come and they get there. And when the hour was come, he sat down on the 12 apostles. Now think about this. The 12 apostles, Judas Iscariot is there with him. And he said unto them, with desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Okay, here he goes again. He gives them a little clue. I'm going to suffer. It's right at hand. Right now. It's here. And I want to have this meal with you before I go and suffer. I want to spend it with you. The people I've been with throughout all of my three to three and a half years of ministry. For I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Now, when we get to these verses here, and we're looking at them, we see in the verses 14 through 18, he's eating the Passover. And he said, I really want to do this. But then I want you to note that he then talks about uh, the Lord's Supper. Now, watch how he does this. He says, for I say unto you, I will not eat any more thereof until it be fulfilled again in the kingdom of heaven. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say unto you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God shall come. And he took bread and gave thanks and break it and gave it unto them saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do ye in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood which is shed for you. Now, my friend, when we look at this, what we see is an incredible, awesome, every, I mean, this is incredible that he is eating there with Judas, and he's giving them clues. This is my body, which is given for you. 
Do this in remembrance of me. Well, why do I need to remember you? You're right here. Are you going someplace? That's the kind of questions that probably was in their mind. And he said, this is the cup of the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. Did they not stop and think? What is he saying there? Which is shed for you? You see, there, I'm sure that in their mind there's a lot of questions, but Jesus is talking, and they're not going to interrupt him. So they're sitting there, and they're going through all of these things, and the Lord's Supper is being instituted. Now, when you remember about this, let's just see what the Apostle Paul, does he give credence to this? For I have received, 1 Corinthians 11, verse number 23, of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And after the same manner also he took the cup, when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Whosoever. Now, in that's, that's, that's exactly what we just saw. But now Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, where there was a lot of schisms and divisions and problems, says, Listen, Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily, irreverently, okay, in an unbecoming way, shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. So let a man examine himself. And so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. Examine yourself first. Make sure that you are not eating for the wrong reasons. Make sure sin is confessed. Make sure you're eating this because you know what he did and you want to remember his death, burial, and resurrection and that he bought you with a price, the price of his life as he was nailed to that cross and God placed on him all the sin of the world. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning, not judging correctly, not understanding the Lord's body. What's the Lord's body? Why was he here? To be a sin bearer, a spotless lamb to die. Not a lamb that passes sins forward a year because it can't deal with it. The lamb that taketh away the sin of the world. He said it's for this cause or it's for this reason that many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep, meaning they are dead. So he instituted the Lord's Supper. So we see the preparations. We see the Passover, the Passover supper and the Lord's supper. Then we see some perplexing. Now watch this. He's, they, they've heard all this. Now the Lord says, I mean, I, I'm sure in their mind they're processing all this. And they get this bombshell dropped on them. But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Right here where you guys are. The, bad, the guy that's going to betray me, the one who's going to deliver me over into the system, he's right here at the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he's betrayed. Let me just put that to you interestingly. It didn't matter. He was going. Nobody could take Jesus to the cross. They weren't powerful enough to take him to the cross before his time. But when his time came, a little boy could have let him because Jesus wasn't going to fight. That's the reason why he came. 
So they, they begin to inquire among themselves, verse 23, which of them it was that should do this thing. They're like, who would do that? And there was also a strife among them who should be the greatest. And we're going to get to that in just a minute because we're going to go to another situation. But right now, I want you to see that they are perplexed beyond beginning. Who would do such a thing? Some of the other gospels, is it I? Is it I? And he says, he who dips with me in the dish. And of course, Judas did it. And, and they didn't get that. They thought because he was the treasure, he went out to buy something, you know, with the money. That's all they could think. So now they got that going on, but we take now another time out and we kind of switch gears. And when we do that, we find not only that they were perplexed, but now we see some perception. There was a strife among them. They're actually all divided and disputing against themselves. Which of them should be accounted the greatest? Who will be the greatest in the kingdom? And he said unto them, the kings and the Gentiles exercise lordship over them, and they that exercise authority upon them are called benefactors. That's our word is susia. That's that power of authority. But ye shall not be so, but he that is greatest among you, let him be as the younger, and he that is chief as one that doth serve. It says it's upside down with me. If you want to be uh, exalted, be humble. If you want to be considered the greatest, be the chiefest of them that serve. For whether is greater, he that sitteth at meat, or he that serveth, is not he that sitteth at meat, but I am among you as he that serveth. Ye are they which continue with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom as my Father hath appointed unto me, that ye may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on thrones judging the twelve tribes of Israel. That uh, is kind of interesting because when we look at this, what we see is this fight. Now, I'm going to just share with you, if you go to John's Gospel, chapter 13, verse number 1 starts out like this. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended... The devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and went to God, he rises from supper, laid aside his garments, and took a towel, and girded himself, and after that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them in with the towel wherewith he was girded, then cometh to he to Simon Peter, and Peter said to him, Lord, dost thou wash my feet? We're going to stop right there because I want to make this point. If we now know the setting. It's the Feast of Passover. Jesus knows his hour has come, that he's going to depart out of this world under the Father. He knows that Judas is left to go you know, get the money and say, hey, I, I know where to take you to, that there won't be any crowds around. Supper's now being ended. The devil's put it into his heart to do this. Jesus, knowing that he's, everything's been given to his hands, they have just had this ridiculous conversation with the Lord about who's going to be the greatest. And after they were fighting over who should be the greatest, Jesus girds himself with a towel and starts to wash the disciples' feet. When he comes to Peter, Peter said to him, Lord, thou shalt never wash my feet. Period. Done deal. I'm, that's not going to happen. I, I mean, Peter is just, 
he never thinks about what he's saying. I, I, he puts his foot in his mouth a lot. And poor Peter, we would really rag on him if it weren't for the fact that we see him in the book of Acts with the filling of the Holy Spirit. Thank God for the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That is where we see awesomeness. But Peter comes along and he says to him, you will never wash my feet. Period. Okay. Then Jesus said unto him, if I wash thee not, thou hast no part with me. <laughs> Period. There you go. You want to be with me? You say you you love me. You say I'm who, who you love and all. Well, if you want to eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, sit upon the thrones, let me tell you what you better do. You better let me wash your feet. And, you know, you, know, you have no part with me. Simon Peter, again, in his rambunctious way, said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Just, boy, just take that thing and go to town. <laughs> but that's not the illustration Jesus is giving here. Jesus saith unto him, He that is washed needeth not save to wash his feet, but he is clean every whit, and ye are clean. But not all, because we know that Judas... For he knew who should betray him. Therefore, he said, ye are not all clean. Now, what's he saying here? It's very simple. Okay? Our sins are forgiven. They're under the blood. There is no more remembrance of them anymore. And so, we have been clean totally in the sense of there's nothing going to keep us from going to heaven if we truly know Christ as our personal Savior. That's why we don't need to be washed from head to foot, but we walk the path that God put us on in a world full of sin. You cannot walk on that path without getting some dirt on your feet. And of course, they wore sandals. And in the, some of the provinces there in Rome, in the bigger cities, they had the bathhouses where people would go and wash their feet. Uh, listen, they come into a home, they would take a basin, wash their feet so they wouldn't track the mud in. You get dirty. Listen, I can go down to almost any place I want to go, any town, any place, including where I live, and see something I wished I hadn't seen. You didn't know you were going to see it. You weren't planning on seeing it. You're driving down the road, and a billboard that's just perverted shows up. You go in to buy some groceries, and you see a magazine you wish you'd not seen. And your mind for maybe a second entertain something and you say lord stop that and you you try to practice first corinthians 10 4 where you you know bring every thought to captivity of christ but you got to get that clean with god saying lord that's a sin i don't want to do that i want to stay right with you it's not anything to do with our salvation it has to do with our walk walking clean so that people see us walking clean so that they say of us not they're a hypocrite they don't live what they preach they say that's the real person that person's real. They really believe what they believe, and they work hard to practice what they believe. So he said, you need just your feet to be washed because you're walking in a sin-cursed earth, and it's waxing worse and worse, and Jesus said it would be. There's a crowd in the psychological world that says things are getting better and better and better. I don't know what they look at. I have no concept where they get their data from because we still have wars and rumors of wars. And I've, there's more hate mongering than ever before. And there's more hiding behind uh, computers and stealing of identities from the computers and cloning of debit cards and all kinds of new things we never had before. People now spoofing numbers when they call your phone 
developing, you'll answer so they can tell you that some story that you might believe to try to get you to give them your bank account number. I mean, it's not getting better and better. Jesus said it's a sin-cursed earth. you got to walk in it till I take you home. Walk like children of the king. Stay clean. 1 John 1, 9 is how you stay clean. So he says, so after he had washed their feet. Now watch, here's the conclusion of the whole thing. And taking his garments and was set down again, he said unto the mom, which remember, they'd just been fighting. Who's the greatest in the kingdom? And he did that. He, get, he didn't say why he was doing it till now. Know ye what I have done unto you. Do you know what just happened here? Ye call me master and Lord. Yeah. I have the Lord over you. And ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your master and Lord, or he, and he actually flopped them here. If I then, your Lord and master, because he's Lord first, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Okay? Do you see it? Are you getting it? Do you understand what he's saying here? Very, very important that they got that. If I am your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, don't you think instead of deciding who's going to be the greatest, you ought to serve each other? Don't worry about who's going to be the greatest. Serve each other. Even if you sit on 12 thrones, that doesn't make one of you better. Serve. You're there to serve. Exactly what government was put in to serve, not to Lord, but serve. Pastors are to serve, not Lord. It talks about that in 1 Peter. For I have given you an example. Yes, he did. That ye should do as I have done unto you. I'm the example. Follow me. Paul said, follow me even as I follow Christ. As, as long as I'm following Christ, you follow me. Amen. Verily, verily, or truthfully, truthfully, I say unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. Neither he that is sent greater than he that sent him. If you know these things, happy are ye if you do them. If you know these things, perfect knowledge, total knowledge, then be happy, blessed, enjoy. Now, I'm going to tell you right now. He looks at them and says, I speak not of you all. No, I know whom I have chosen, but that the scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me has kicked up his heel against me. He's talking about Judas. So when we go back, we find ourselves, they're fighting over who's going to be the greatest. When we come back, we'll finish the chapter. They're perplexed. And then we're going to see Four more things in this chapter as Jesus heads towards Calvary. Willingly, not, there's not any reason for them to take him. They can't, take, they can't do anything save it's allowed, and he allows it. Father, in the name of Jesus, help us to realize why you came, how willing you were to go, and how it's not about who's greater than who. It's all about serving you out of a sincere heart of love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen. This is Pastor Walton praying you have an absolutely 
awesome yes, week. Yes, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every word is true. Oh, I believe every word that he said is true. I believe he'll do exactly what he said he would do. How I love his precious word, it thrills me through and through. I believe every You've been listening to the Teaching Timeless Truths radio broadcast with Pastor Roger Walton. You can send all correspondence to tttbroadcasts at gmail.com. Tune in again next week for another Timeless Truth.